0: Welcome okay. to
1: Hello, film fans. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. Our mini-series from stage to screen continues on as we study film adaptations of Broadway musicals and prove once and for all that film and theater can work together in harmony. Megan Ort calls in from South Korea to talk about the best picture-winning bossy phenomena, Chicago. All right, Megan Ort is here to talk about Chicago. Very special episode because this was my... Very first time seeing the movie, I know very very little about Chicago um, other than what I've read and been exposed to um, throughout my um, career in theater, and I I want to know why why Chicago? What made you um, choose choose this? Like, what draws you to this show?
0: Chicago, the film is one that I would recommend to literally anyone. I I think of Chicago the film and think I'm proud that that is a film representation of musical theater. I think it was so well done, so entertaining. Even now, I gave it a rewatch yesterday and it still holds up. Also strangely, so I thought of Chicago the film and I realized there is a parallel here. I did Chicago at Ithaca College. Oh really? Yes. <laughs> Amazing. The-
1: <laughs> Who were you?
0: <laughs> I played one of the cell block girls. Pop. Her name's Liz. Oh,
1: <laughs> awesome! <laughs> wow, that's that's fantastic. Um, yeah. And it. From what I understand, they there are some fair differences between the two, and uh, we can get into that in just a second. But I had heard I had heard so much about it, and I had so many friends that were so into the movie. And what was interesting was um more people recommended that I um, watch the movie than necessarily go see the Broadway show and that I had met more fans of the movie and it was it's obviously um, got gained a lot of recognition when it first was released it won six Academy Awards including best Picture which is kind of unprecedented for a movie musical at the time in 2002 um, what is your um what, what, is, what does the show represent for you, necessarily? Do you have a very special connection to it other than being in it? Like What what is your relationship to the show always been?
0: Well, I have to admit, I have never seen the show, aside from being in the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've seen the, the film, I've been in the show, obviously read the script. So my first introduction to Chicago was the film. I believe I watched it at... A little movie night with my cousins. My older cousins had had recommended it, and we put it on, and I was just enraptured and taken away by the beauty and the spectacle of it. And, and to be honest, I was too young to even understand the the parallel worlds that happen in the show. I was just, I was, I was razzle dazzled. <laughs> <it.
1: laughs> I I didn't really know what to expect going into it because the my only real exposure to it was obviously hearing some of the most iconic songs from it, obviously all that jazz and sublock tango. Um, but as the film was going on, I, I realized there were more songs that I had heard in passing or in like just performances mm-hmm. at like cabarets um, because of my because of doing theater through high school. And I was so surprised at the execution of it because There's so I I almost feel like there's uh, something that you expect when you go into a movie musical. There's um, I'm always sometimes very weary to go in because of various adaptations. We've talked a lot uh, about them on this show um, because of this series, like Fiddler on the Roof and Jesus Christ Superstar to Fame. Uh, What what do you feel? How do you feel about movie musicals in general of this size, like like *Les Mis* or *Into the Woods*? And what do you feel is the challenge? Is like what gets lost? Or <laughs> this is quite a jumbled question. I um, apologize. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's
0: okay. The, yeah, there's so much to to explore there, right? So, what are the main criticisms, maybe, of of musical theater pieces and musical theater films? Um, the unbelievability that You don't buy it. You know, like I've seen movie musicals where I'm like, oh, this song wasn't earned. All of a sudden we're singing and it's kind of sprung upon the audience. You're taken out of the story um, because it happens too suddenly or the style does not support bursting into song and dance. And I think that's what Chicago the Film got right. They created a, a device that enabled us to be transported in an instant to this vaudeville secondary fantastical world where all of the, the songs take place very rarely in the the film. Do the actors burst into song in the world of the real action of the, the film. Uh, so we have two worlds and one in which is the fantastical musical side. And one is the more grounded in reality side. And they're able to oscillate between those two worlds so quickly and simultaneously so they can maintain the theatricality that is required to sustain those musical elements, those fantastical um, out-of-this-world elements that is song and dance (laughs) in a theater piece.
1: Yeah, there is a great challenge in that, especially with the believability there. You have to... Um, really get the audience to be on your side to earn the breaking into song because in theater it's it almost feels completely natural um, regardless of what they're singing about you could get away with pretty much anything um, in theater if they're once they just break into song like there it, it feels like that's the necessary thing to do and I, I feel like that yes. obviously has to do with the with the intimacy and just you being there with. The actors like right then and there and it, it feels like it, it it builds enough momentum that you're just watching this whole thing play out r- literally right in front of you in the same room whereas with film there's a lot of other things that go into it and um and they're almost it's almost their way of breaking the fourth wall or at least trying to yes. not explicitly but it's it's very difficult and some you know obviously some productions do it very well and and some don't, but it's interesting the way they do it in Chicago because yes, you said it is, it's literally the way they do it is they cut to vaudeville like performances of the songs and intercut it with the actual scene that's going on in the film. And I, I was not expecting that because that was something that I hadn't really thought that you could do for a specific musical. I can't think of another musical that could do that.
0: It would have to be something else that is similarly brechtian or fourth wall um yeah in the stage version the actors are often commenting on the story through their songs it's very obvious throughout the musical that the actors are players um commenting on what they're doing but yeah so i think that's what enables the film to to oscillate i'd have to think hard about another musical that would be similar. I'd imagine another Fosse musical, um, Pippin could play like that as well. Are you familiar with Pippin?
1: Yes. Um, yeah, that, that, that would be interesting. I mean, I know that Pippin, well, I, I wrote in my notes actually in one scene when they're doing the, uh, when they're playing out the courtroom scene, it actually turns into Pippin almost when the, uh, when the Mm -hmm. circus rings come down. It just made me think of Mm -hmm. Pippin. um, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I. guess you could do it with Pippin. I was kind of thinking more shows mm. that are more vignetted, like that feel as though it's oh, just performances true. of certain songs. Like, and I, this gets into what yeah. Chicago the musical actually is, um, and what that represents because it it premiered first in 1975, directed and choreographed by the great legendary Bob Fosse, and um, was then revived to the. Uh, in 1998, and became the longest-running Broadway revival in history, and I feel like Chicago has become a, a pinnacle of musical theater. It's a very popular show, and and so well known. Even if you're not uh, necessarily embedded in the musical theater community, you know at least something about Chicago. Like the choreography is iconic. Everyone knows all that jazz. I mean, Liza Minnelli like just took mm-hmm. it to its absolute height. What do you think? Um, is what aspect of this show keeps people coming back? Like, what is it about this show that really connects with people? Do you feel because it's so it's so different from other musicals? I feel.
0: Yes. Wow. Are we talking about the film or the theater piece? The uh,
1: the show the show itself.
0: The show itself. What? Yes. The style, the way the story is told. That's basically what I find to be most fascinating about any piece of musical theater, especially how the story is told has the most lasting impact, which for me is, yes, I would say the choreography, which is interesting because there was a different choreographer for the film than the stage production. Um, But it still paid homage to that Fosse style, that iconic Fosse style. Um, I would definitely say how the story is told. The style mm-hmm. of the choreography and the vignettes and the commentary by the actors, the theatricality. Um.
1: Yeah, it, it does seem that it, by checking off those boxes, like the way that it's told directly, like speaking to the audience, the actors are players like very clearly telling a story and the... Absolute sensationalism of the choreography kind of checks all of the boxes of a classic Broadway musical. Like you see, like elements of like all of those in so many different musicals, but the way that it's told in Chicago is is sing- is singular to the show. If that makes sense, it. Um, but there's it's very clearly a great representation of what Broadway represents. I feel it's it, it's a it's a classic essentially is what I'm trying to say. <laughs>
0: Yes, yes. I would agree.
1: Mm-hmm. What what do you think is like is special about theater that sets it apart from from film because obviously there are in many examples of films that try and emulate the success and glamorization that um, Hollywood or New York bring. I feel like theater be, became this huge symbol of success and so specific to New York that we all can recognize it. Like, what do you feel is, <clears throat> excuse me, makes theater like such a sensation and art form, like by itself that people want to flock to?
0: Well, that question feels very, very relevant to this time where there isn't much live theater happening, if any. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been finding myself, realizing, re-realizing how important theater is and how it functions. It's an important exchange to tell a story in the same room as your audience and to feel that exchange. The experience of watching a theatrical production is very different from watching something through a screen. There's a sense of of community and ritual and energy exchange that happens in the theater that does not happen when you're watching the same story being told on a screen. Um, An acknowledgement that we are all gathering in a room to suspend disbelief together and agreeing to that, that sort of contract. And there's a, 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 trust that goes both ways. Like as an actor, I trust that the audience will, will go with me and, and vice versa. And I'm not sure the, the I've never explored all that seriously trying to become a, a film actor because there's something so special to me about having that real life, that real time exchange. It's imperfect. And as an actor, I'm in charge fully of how, what happens with my performance. Whereas um, in that moment and it's fleeting, you know, mistakes happen and that's what makes it unique. Um, and I think there's a, that, understanding from the audience, too, that what I'm about to experience is fleeting. I can't press re- replay or pause. And and there's a heightened sense of attention paid because of that. And I think there's, there's a lot of magic in that. And that's why people go to the theater, because you can't get that anywhere else.
1: I love that it also, though obviously it is very sensationalized and um can do great things to manipulate reality it's also grounded in reality because of you know because of almost the limitations you know you can't do everything on stage that you can do in film obviously because it's real life there's um there's no magic of you know special effects or certain things like that. But that grounds it in reality, I feel, and makes it more human because like you said you can mess up and that mistake um, while in the moment you're like, oh, that actually made your performance uh, the whole performance more special to the audience because they only got to see that. No one else did. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it feels very feels very in the moment. And also I've always loved that if anything, that this quarantine has taught me personally um is that is how much i love uh escapism in Mm -hmm. in my art like i i love that and not even just specifically to chicago but uh, theater is you are able to literally like walk off the street and step into another world entirely for two and a half hours um, whether that's mm-hmm. an, in a in a tour or um, or Broadway or even just a local community theater production, you are just it shuts out everything And sure movies can do that too. but theater just feels so different and and I, I love that it, it's it, it's almost it's almost addicting in a way to get that to want that experience over and over again.
0: yeah, the full immersion um, and there there's something about the audience is watching the players, but to some degree, the players are watching the audience as well. Not, not nearly as much, but the, you have to behave a certain way and, and bring your attention and channel it. When you step into a theater, you're in a public sphere and, and that, that heightens the stakes that heightens the energy and, and creates a more all encompassing experience by being in that space together, by stepping in and, and stepping away from the world. Yeah.
1: The the stakes are definitely raised, um, for sure, but Mm -hmm. they do, they do a lot of very interesting things, um, in this film that make it singular as its own movie, that it is almost detached from the original show. I mean, obviously it is an adaptation, but from what I understand of the show and that we've talked about and that I've talked with other people, it is very, um, it's almost, and not to make a musical theater pun, but it is almost like a cabaret in a way, the way that it's staged. And obviously that we talked about how the actors are playing in the show, but here they can cut around to different scenes and go to separate locations and make it feel very, um, there's so much glamor in the movie. And the way that the production design looks, and they the just the the location of Chicago in and of itself in the movie and the costumes is just feels like such a great like early two thousands like very big movie and in a in a great way.
0: Yes, yes, I, I would agree. I I so enjoyed that full exploration of of that sense of place of the. The cuts to various costumes and and props <laughs> and um, yeah, the design is, is so spectacular. Whether you're in the the vaudeville world or you're in in the, the real world, um, that that sense of of design and continuity is, is all throughout and and just so heightened and beautiful.
1: Absolutely. So with that, why don't we just dive right in to the critical breakdown? Well, I'm, I'm curious. I would like to know, do you consider yourself to be like a movie person?
0: I love movies. Um. No, I, I, I do love movies. Wait, what's a, what's a movie person? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you said that you never really considered getting into <laughs> acting uh, in movies. So like, is movies something that's a big part of your life? Like, are you actively going to the movie theater? Um, or is like oh, sitting yeah. down to watch Absolutely. a movie more of a special thing?
0: No, I, I love movies. I love TV. And I fully am so captivated by, by people's performances and, and do see myself like wanting to give a performance like that. Um, I think the daily life factor and the business side of it, um, I feel very drawn to the theater community and the the discipline and that discipline um, in general, I know I can't fully speak to what it takes to being a film actor. But they I know they don't have to do eight shows a week. And that structure of a being a theater actor, doing eight shows a week in real time, the discipline is different. The focus is different and it requires being in a community that supports one another kind of at all times. Like I, the lifestyle is different. Whereas if you're a film actor, it's more isolated. And really I think that you have a bit less control over what the final product is. I mean, you're not the editor, right? So you you show up and somebody else decides how it's told. Whereas theater acting i feel i have control is not the right word but you know what i'm trying to get at like um
1: right because like on a movie set a director can say let's do this scene over and over and over again until you do exactly what he wants but in the theater Mm -hmm. like you get out there you're on stage and now it's your show
0: yeah and and i definitely must defer to to my director and choreographer um for, for notes and things but in the in that moment i'm the one giving the final delivery of what the performance is and i really enjoy that i really enjoy that part of being a theater actor and being a part of that exchange and feeling the energy from the audience in real time um yeah there's so there's so many reasons i love being a theater actor and i would never discount like wanting to do film acting at all. Uh, there's just <laughs> something so so wonderful about being a part of a theater community. I,
1: I also I also love the idea that as as a theater actor, you you obviously like film actors and theater actors obviously will do something over and over and over again to um, to prepare and really work out the kinks. But once a scene is filmed, you know you got it. Whereas with theater, you're continually building and finding new things like each night and going deeper and deeper into a character. And that feels as though it's constantly changing, almost as though your work is never done, but is still growing and you yourself are growing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and to do that with an ensemble of of people is, is really powerful. Also, it, I feel I gain a sense of, of ownership as a group, of creating this world all together. Um, the ensemble aspect is another thing that I I really cherish in the theater.
1: There is a definite community and, and camaraderie there that is mm-hmm. um, that is really unlike any other medium because, I mean, you obviously can make make the family vibe for television and, and film, but with theater, there's so many moving, moving parts to just get... You know, a, like a dance number going, and everyone has to be doing like very distinct, like movements, for example, and everyone has to play off of each other for energy in such a different way. And obviously, again, not to dis- not to discredit or like talk down on, on film actors, but it is completely different, and it mm-hmm. seems more difficult but i do know like if i was to be an actor i would absolutely love to do musical theater because i do love that discipline i love the eight show a week idea um it and i i love the space of theater for sure so like you said there are there are clearly different they're completely different lifestyles
0: yeah yeah that isn't to say i would never try it but but the theater keeps me coming back. And, <laughs> and that's where, where I'm at right now. But no, I, for the record, love movies.
1: <laughs> I do too, just so you know. Um, <laughs> I want to start off the critical breakdown with a quote because I think it perfectly encapsulates the, the brilliance that the director, Rob Marshall, um, implemented with this movie. And it was it's from um, Tim, uh, Tim Robbie, a writer for the Daily Telegraph. Um, And he said that uh, this particular Chicago makes the most prolific use it possibly can out of one specific advantage the cinema has over the stage when it comes to song and dance. It is a sustained celebration of parallel montage. And you get that instantly in the opening scene with all that jazz and the fact that Catherine Zeta-Jones' character, um, Velma, is introduced just by her walking from the street into... Uh, backstage and as she's performing, you see her and then we meet Roxy with uh, Dominic West and I was blown away that they were doing that because it's like oh my god we're that is a brilliant way to introduce these characters. One is at their absolute lowest and the other one is at their absolute highest and they're gonna meet so soon in the middle. I was I couldn't believe it I had I never would have thought of doing that for a musical
0: First of all, I saw that quote and almost wrote it down to. I fully agree. That is it. That is what Chicago is. Yes, the parallels are so clear. And the contrast between the lows and highs. Either the low and high of the vaudeville world and the real world and how they, they interchange and in between characters. And, and it's highlighted through the medium of film that I don't think mm-hmm. could be fully realized in a theatrical production. Absolutely. And that's the way that the Chicago film takes it to the next level.
1: Well, there's so much energy in just about pretty much every scene. Like there's no moment is dull. Like the camera is moving at so many different angles and really, and like there's bright colors and the lighting like of like immediately, like you go from the contrast of backstage to the smoky like room of the lounge and the, the, the lights are coming down on Pelma as she's, going up to do all that jazz which is uh, first of all a great introduction to Catherine Zeta-Jones who is just phenomenal in this movie yes. um as as Velma she gives she is by far my favorite performance of the movie i like couldn't believe it it was one of those I, I knew she had won the oscar but i i wasn't sure um like what about this performance was uh was going to make her win, but she is so effortlessly um like powerful and charismatic. She doesn't really have to put that much into it to get the audience on her side. Like instantly you're like, I am, I am willing to listen to everything you say and I will watch everything you do. She is just, she has this power.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. And to see her so powerful in the beginning of the film and where that where the story takes her and the flickers of of watching her her lose her status and and the fight to regain it and conversely Roxy is on the the upswing their arcs their character arcs go in in complete opposition until they finally meet back in the middle those two women, both mm-hmm. of their performances, I think, are are so captivating and so complimentary of one another, and and hold the other up, and in, in equal and opposite, um, you know, reactions.
1: This is by far the best performance I think I've ever seen out of Renee Zellweger. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic. Um, she has an amazing voice, and the. The very interesting difference between her and Catherine Zeta-Jones is, like I said, um, Catherine Zeta-Jones is almost effortlessly commanding, whereas, and purposefully, Renee Renee Zellweger is putting so much effort into making sure that the audience is on her side for all the events that follow, Mm -hmm. and she sells it and you just to see her transformation of talking with Billy Flynn and uh, the highs and the lows of her career and wanting the success that Velma does, even though she's in prison is so interesting. I mean, it's all in all, this movie is a success story. I, I, like I said, I didn't know a whole lot going into it. So when I finally was putting together like, Oh, this is actually about how someone in, in an interesting way is trying to chase the success of others that she's seen and we see it early on when she's literally watching Velma in the uh, on stage and she's like I want that that's like that's the dream and she is trying so hard to chase that and it goes and it can come and go so quickly
0: there's so much to unpack i one of the thoughts i had after watching was the realization that i we're rooting for murderers chasing Mm -hmm. fame how messed up is that you know i (laughs) but it's so it i think that's part of the takeaway too being being swept up in the the spectacle of it all and the the fascinate the fascination with with watching someone do whatever is necessary to attain that that fame and that recognition and that vindication.
1: And uh, what's interesting is I never questioned the moral position of the show. I was never like, is it okay that I am feeling for these murderers and trying yeah. to just right, chase right. glamour and fame? It. No. Instantly, I was like, do whatever you want. I'm on your side. Like, I'm there. Like, I I was just in. And the other thing that I was shocked about, I, I hadn't... I didn't realize this, but until... Billy Flynn shows up really other than him and John C. Riley's kind of in the background a little bit, but most of the main players in this story that have complete character arcs are all female characters. Yes. And like you don't... And I feel like you don't see that as often anymore in in musicals. It's more so like almost more balanced in terms of uh, gender characters. But this is a story that is led pretty much completely by women giving performances that are instantly captivating. And you can't help but root for and watch them because of everything that they're doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that is definitely something else that makes Chicago special. Seeing women at the center is sadly unusual or, or less common. Mm-hmm. And that thus makes it more special and interesting and unique.
1: So just a quick overview. The story is Mm -hmm. um, on the same night, uh, Roxy Hart and uh, Velma, what is her last name? (laughs) Kelly. Velma Kelly yes on the same night uh they are arrested for um, for murder uh Velma for the double ho- for double homicide and Roxy um, for the killing of um, Dominic West character um Fred Casey I believe is his name Casey uh mm-hmm. yes no, Casey yeah um and they they meet in prison and then set off on trying to on a quest to try and get released from jail as famous murderers and live their life in success. Um, which right there, just if you told me that, I'd be like, that's a perfect idea for a musical. Like that sounds like, can't you just see the musical numbers in your head? Like that yeah. just sounds great.
0: <laughs> it's uh, a larger than life, fantastical, bizarre.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very bizarre, but it's also like, it. it's dark in concept, but in the execution, it's a very bright show like I love the like you'd think that early on especially in the scene when John C. Riley's character is telling the cops yes I came home and uh I I shot this man because he was crawling through my window and then Roxy goes in and starts singing about um starts singing about him in the lounge and then he just fully uh like gives like gives up and like turns her in, and then her whole demeanor changes and starts yelling at him. It's it's so funny, but also like oh, the stakes are actually raised. She like shit just hit the fan, but it's done in such an entertaining way.
0: Absolutely, and and the rules kind of change because it's early on in the play. We, we don't or the the film rather, uh, we don't quite understand yet. How the dream world works in relation to the real world. And in that moment, you see Renee Zellweger all of a sudden kind of breaking the fourth wall back to the real world and yelling at her husband from the lounge. And you're like, whoa, so like these worlds bleed into each other, but they're separate, but they bleed, Do they reflect. Are they parallels? Are like, what's happening? <laughs> and I think, mm-hmm. yes, that moment is that is it. That's what the whole film is all about, you know, wondering. Which has the up the the upper hand, you know? Which reality is like, <laughs> is um, <laughs> driving the story? <laughs> it's so cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's used in different. Uh, that parallelism is used, you know, in pretty much every major major musical number. And uh, but it's it doesn't get stale because it's used in so many different ways. Like after we after she if they, they both go in prison. And first of all, I did not know that Queen Latifah was in this movie. And when she oh, yeah. showed up, I almost jumped for joy. <laughs> I was so happy. And as as soon as the music started, I knew she was going to have her own number. And I was I was so so happy um, that and that song is awesome. The uh, the Mama song is so great. And again, that they use that as a character introduction. Like mm-hmm. that is fully for. And again the power and influence she has over people very clearly um, she r- is running this entire operation and can make or break the lives of any inmate in that prison and instantly you're like I want to see the relationship that she has obviously with Velma and Roxy because it's it's gonna be like a clear turning point for the whole for mm-hmm. the whole movie and she is just so awesome like I, I love her voice she just has this, Unbelievably professional look about her, no matter what she's playing. Mm-hmm. Like she just has this like little slight smile, very um, very thin eyes, but you could just always see and instantly connect with her. I, I love Queen Latifah.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, full agreement there. Oh, that sequence is so <clears throat> so fun as well to see the contrast of this fabulous vaudeville performer like that's what's happening in her mind's eye you know she's running a prison but in her mind's eye she is just owning the club like this is like her playground
1: <laughs> that's so true i never thought like, yes she is the club owner i yeah i hadn't put that in yes no that's that is so true and just seeing her in that scene, like interact with all the men in, in the club. And uh, she just like is owning, like is just so towering over everyone with power. And uh, it, it was so, it was so great and refreshing to see uh, a female, like all these female characters with just the power that they have. And um, they're, they, they felt like they're obviously very larger than life. But they felt real and like people that I wanted to meet, despite their very clear, uh, you know, selfish, like personal efforts to to survive. Mm -hmm. I was just, I loved, I I loved seeing all of the performances, like pretty much across the board. I thought were fantastic. There's and there's a lot of people in this movie too. There's obvious so there's Catherine Zeta Jones, there's Renee Zellweger, John C. Riley. Um, who is so good as Roxy's husband? He just plays this. I think he's one of the best character actors working today because he just is so good at playing this very lovable dope. Like yes. he is so dopey in this movie, and not to the point where you're like, "Come on, dude!" Because he has a big heart. Like mm-hmm. he has the biggest heart in mm-hmm. the movie. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Um. Yes, and there's something so cool about how he inhabits that character without bringing too much self-awareness as an actor to what he's doing because if he were to bring any level of self-awareness or playing to the audience or playing for laughs we we would lose it we'd be taken out of it and it's simple and clear and and um Yes, just as you said, just dopey and big-hearted and sincere. It's absolutely sincere. Even when he when he's playing the sad clown, he's like, it's complete sincerity that sells it.
1: Mm-hmm. I loved the Mister Cellophane scene. Like that was so good, and it was, it was what was cool to see is that I mean, obviously, it's just I had never seen John C. Riley like fully give a performance like that before in terms of singing. Cause like he had been in at the around this time he had done Magnolia and then just a few years later had done uh, Step Brothers and all those famous comedies. So it was, it was quite the different performance for him in terms of what I had seen. And I, I knew that he had range, but I didn't know that he could you know sing and do that character performance as if he was on stage. And what's great about that scene is you totally believe everything he's saying because it's such a perfect representation of his character. And though that song may not necessarily move the story forward per se, it is perfectly telling you like, I'm just a guy who's literally just almost not there. And parallel that with Billy Flynn just continually calling him fucking Andy when I mean, that's <laughs> not even like, close to his name. <laughs> you like just feel so bad for him because he's so desperate and wants to help and gets Billy Flynn to be um to represent Roxy, I and the fact that like I'm fairly certain the way they filmed that like no one else is in the theater when he's doing that. Yes. It's yes. like, just completely com-
0: There's one bystander who who seems to be like I don't know a technical worker or a producer just like just, n- not an audience member and <laughs> It's so sad and funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh gosh, and yeah, yeah, that's perfect, perfect casting right there. I think perfect casting across the board, obviously. Wow.
1: My only issue with casting, and, and it's a little bit of a, it's a bigger issue, just because he has such a big part. Uh, I personally have never really liked Richard Gere all that much. Mm. I don't really know. I don't. I honestly don't have a good reason as to why. I've just never been able to connect with him that well, and I felt like. He he does what he needs to do to suit the role, but I kept I kept thinking like who who else could have done this role? And I was just kind of thinking like around this same time. So this was two thousand two, and I was kind of just going back through like the the Mirror Max library because the Mirror Max produced this movie, Mm -hmm. and I I was thinking like someone like and just because of his performance in Talented Mr. Ripley, I feel like Jude Law could do. Billy Flynn really well
0: oh yeah
1: obviously he's younger mm-hmm. at this point he was only I think he was like 30 or something but um, so obviously much younger but couldn't you see uh Jude Law tap dancing and doing a courtroom uh, appeal like I I, I mm-hmm. could totally see that
0: yes yeah now that you mention it, perhaps. Perhaps Richard Gere could have given a better performance or there would have been somebody better suited for the role. Yeah, there's, there's something a little muted about his delivery that probably works mm-hmm. in a lot of worlds and a lot of films. But there's something about the character Billy Flynn, which it started to come out in his courtroom scene a little bit. Um, I, I was like on board with with Richard Gere's um theatricals in uh Roxy's trial. But yeah, leading up like a sparkle in the eye was kind of missing. Or like Hugh Jackman. He's he's a theater man and yeah. he mm-hmm. a showman. That yeah, he he could have done it.
1: The greatest showman ha-
0: The greatest showman indeed. <laughs> um
1: <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, you could play the the what if game like all day. That was just someone who kind of came to mind because, and, and I mean, he because the character of Billy Flynn obviously is supposed to be a little muted, which is which is again great moments of parallelism. When in the beginning, when he sings like "All I Care About Is Heart," and then you just see mm-hmm. him say to Roxy, oh, "I need five thousand dollars," and that's clearly all he cares about is money. He doesn't care about yeah. mm-hmm. um, necessarily the case itself, um, which is you know obvious great dramatic irony um i don't know i i i just i i've just personally never been the biggest richard mm-hmm. Gere fan it's hard mm-hmm. to connect with him uh so i i was just trying to think of people who like around this time were still like if, as big or maybe a little bit uh less big that could have filled that role i i was just thinking like like yeah i, I don't know jude law was kind of the big the yeah. name that kept coming mm-hmm. up and and that's not to say that this is a bad performance by Richard Gere. No. He's not, he's not, I, I wouldn't say bad. It's It's just to me, I kept, I just wanted to, Kept. I kept thinking about who else um, could have done that. But Billy Flynn is a great character and a very, you know, obvious key role mm-hmm. in this story. Aside from that, pretty much everything in this movie is at, like, is just to turned up to 11. Like we said, the mm-hmm. production design is amazing. Mm-hmm. The choreography, um, is insane. <laughs> it's oh, like,
0: yes, yes. I'd love to talk about the choreography. I think it, let's do it. Yes. So I, I wonder what the, the theatrical, theatrical community was thinking. um, knowing that they were going to see a a film that did not have Bob Fosse choreography in Chicago. I imagine there might've been a lot of apprehension and I don't actually know what the response was, but my response was that I think that Rob Marshall nailed it to create his own stamp while also living in, in somewhat of a, a Fosse style, musical theater style blend of choreography and I I loved it. Honestly, I had forgotten because it had been years since I'd seen the film. I'd forgotten that it wasn't Fosse choreography before watching it just yesterday. And I didn't necessarily miss it because I've seen plenty of clips, all the clips of all that jazz and, and whatnot. And I surprisingly did not miss the Fosse choreography, but it felt like Fosse. And I think that is why this film was so successful, that Rob Marshall was able to find that happy medium.
1: Absolutely. And, and yeah, Fosse choreography is so iconic in in so many different ways. Like, I mean, we mentioned Pippin earlier. Pippin does such an interesting... Like, all the players at times are moving in such fluid motions as one being. And not just, like, obviously, you could say that for any musical, but Pippin does it in such a way where total mobility on the part of like 16 different actors in one formation is so interesting to watch and here, obviously, there has to be some some change because he's doing Fosse-spirited choreography in the space of a, of a camera lens. So, there has to be some changes and he uses mm-hmm. the space effectively. Um, I, I think the two... Personally, the best moments of choreography um, are when Velma tries to win over Roxy
0: and get her alone. to
1: be a part of her. Sh- yes, I, I can't do it alone. and she does the she actually does the act by herself as if there were two people there and does goes through so many different highlights of choreography from various musical theater. like there's like stuff from anything goes. there's stuff <laughs> from the original production. there's it's everything. It's all over the place. It's great. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yes. And it plays to the, the way they, they cut and shot the film plays to the strengths of their lead actors and their abilities, because these people are not, well, they they have some training clearly. um, But in comparison to, you know, the cell block girls who are dancers by trade, there is that contrast, but, the way they cut and shot the movie blended everyone together to play to everybody's strengths so that I guess nicely that, you you know, any flaws that that the lead actors might've had in their technique were, were kind of glossed over very, very well and very effectively.
1: And I mean, let's just get into the cell block tango scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's fucking out of control. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, It's and that's another great example. Like that is used as complete visual exposition that is told through choreography and obviously, like the the actors are telling us individual stories. But with the way that the lighting is done and obviously the voices are continually building over the chorus, that everyone knows at this point. You know, he had it coming. Like everyone knows that. Um, And it goes in so many motions. I didn't know how much it escalated. So it starts off obviously. To uh, Each person tells about their relationship, who they killed, and they dance with one or two other people. And then um, the other inmates come out and dance with them. And then the stage is filled.
0: Flooded. So it
1: just kept going. (laughs) Yes, literally flooded. Um, And I was was just like, I was still when I was watching it because I I, I didn't know what was going to happen next.
0: Yes, those elements of surprise are in every shot and every scene like it it just keeps one upping itself you know and and that's something that the the film is able to do with 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 cuts and and lighting and and design that that a theatrical production just simply can't accomplish and they really used that to (laughs) the best of their abilities my god (laughs) you don't know what's coming next it's amazing
1: and uh, let me say, that is how you use an actual theater stage in a movie. I'm looking at you, Rent the Musical, just have yes. fucking people on the edge of the stage singing Seasons of Love as the boring credits roll. Are you yeah. kidding me? No, do it like <laughs> Cell Block Tango. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes.
1: I, listen, I love Rent, but I have endlessly kind of shat on that movie for the past like <laughs> five or six episodes. So it keeps coming up. Uh... <laughs> Yes. but you know what, what I is. mean like yeah. if, if you're gonna pay homage to theater like this yeah. does it in such an interesting way because it's, it's visually appealing mm-hmm. and it's again, it's matched with something. And you can see the clear reflections and artistic vision that Rob Marshall's going for. Mm-hmm. The Rent movie, it's like, all right, we got the Nederlander for a day. Let's get him in there, turn the lights oh, on, gosh. and let's go.
0: Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't seen the Rent movie in a really long time. Maybe I need to revisit. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> not the way to do it, is it?
1: Mm-mm. Oh, no. <laughs> but you, like I said, that that scene is... And it's amazing, and, and continually just grow like has Roxy grow closer um, to Velma, and we talked about raising the stakes, obviously, in that scene. But that's another thing this movie does really well mm-hmm. is you know you see the uh, Roxy getting closer to Billy Flynn and becoming famous very quickly. Of you know the way that they play up her image as this Southern girl, but then mm-hmm. that's dropped. And then how she talks to people and her story. Like, it's actually really interesting. And this was, you know, part of the analysis of it is how we make celebrities out of, yes. uh, criminals. Yeah, which is, which was shocking to me in a way, because I hadn't, I, I didn't realize that that's what the movie was doing until all of that, um, until all the preparation, like the way that they do it, is 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 very much like a like a show. You know, the way that they prepare or the creation of a character, the way they prepare her with her backstory, and the high of her getting in the papers, and then it is immediately followed by the low when Lucy Liu shows up, it, mm-hmm. and it all happens so fast, and they have to continually do it because of, um, and they surprise you that you think that. Oh, is this is it's gonna end this early? And then nope, she's gonna faint and say that she's pregnant. Like yep. it's it's great.
0: <laughs> yes, <clears throat> oh, that moment is so good, isn't it? And yeah, Velma's just like, oh shit, <laughs> 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 this girl. Yeah,
1: that's so. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great because she literally like was just then she was like, "Hey, you know, your name's not there. Who who cares? Two weeks she'll be gone." Faints and then zoom in on her face and she's like, "Ah, oh, shit!" And it's
0: like <laughs> <laughs> the one upmanship. Yeah, well the the lengths that they go to to create a narrative to to support l- like absolute fake news. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> oh my, just complete disregard like the truth does not matter there's it's 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 um all throughout the the script you know the truth doesn't matter the truth who cares about the
1: truth all, all that matters is how you're perceived in your image um which mm-hmm. again is a, a very powerful uh, message mm-hmm. um that given given the circumstances of the world that we live in today um yes. the, the 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 one thing i will say uh, the other complaint that i have is i i do not like the i don't remember the song name but it's the one where they're all puppets and talking oh, they about they both reach for the gun um, yes that's it i didn't really like that <gasps> one and it's what about uh, it
0: didn't you like
1: I don't like puppets. (laughs) puppets.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's so—it's kind of like grotesque and um, and dark. uh, The way they they shot it as well, and it's a little off-putting in the stage production because (laughs) the, the 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 staging is Billy using Roxy as a puppet. But there's something that, that, again, the film taking it to the next level, making all of the reporters the puppets, and then all of a sudden, Billy mm-hmm. Flynn is the puppeteer, and he's larger than life with the strings. It's so disturbing, and it's, I find yeah. it to be so, It that leaves a lasting impression, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of making them, like, mur- um, marionettes, but, like... I don't know. Keep it in the "Bye Bye Bye" musical, like or a um, music video. Like, oh uh, my I'm god! Cool with that. <laughs> oh yeah, it was <laughs> very "Bye Bye Bye."
0: A little bit stolen. Uh, yeah, they're, 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 are, yeah, a little. Mm, 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 mm. Um, yes. But it was
1: it was weird just to see. I don't know. It it was well. First of all, ri- one issue is that Richard Geary is doing this kind of on-off New York Chicago accent kind of thing throughout, and it, it's escalated so much there that it was almost annoying, and it was. Very scary to see Renee Zellweger pretend to be a ventriloquist dummy. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, like the look that she has on her face throughout that, and just Richard Gere holding her like by a string in her back is again—it's—it definitely leaves an impression. I was like, "Oh my god!"
0: (laughs) Oh, I think it's even made stronger by the. There's an added bit with Velma and Roxy right before that scene. Velma says something to the effect of, "Don't let him." tell the story or like, don't let him take the reins and setting it, uh, sowing a seed of resentment in Roxy that is not in the stage production. And I think that was a really smart and interesting move for the film to know what might be happening underneath the facade that, that Roxy has. And then those, those flickers of of being out of out of her um, league to try to speak to the press, she's not ready. She's not ready to do that yet. She hasn't learned the ways quite yet. She still has to be a dummy in order to succeed. Right. Oh, weird! It's mm-hmm. so weird and creepy.
1: Yeah, and just the I, I love the idea that that Velma um, plants that seed mm-hmm. in Roxy's head because again, that is what's so great about that character and the way that uh, Zeta Jones portrays it is that she is always seemingly like she is one step ahead Mm -hmm. and is not necessarily in control, but is still a major player in the story more so than Roxy wants her to be. But Mm -hmm. what's interesting and and that kind of subsides that is she herself is also bested and proven wrong at times. Like the Mm -hmm. whole thing when she faints and she she thinks that she wins and then nope, Mm -hmm. back, back to normal and... Again, and it builds the conflict between them. And it's not like a very clear, overt butting of heads as some directors might play that storyline out, but it is effective still because it, it builds all the way to the end when they finally um recognize that they, they need each other and form that from that bond, which mm-hmm. makes it more satisfying.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I got, and I got to say, the courtroom scenes are absolutely my favorite. Just uh, because of the the whole. Well, first of all, I love courtroom dramas. Like I, I love those uh, mm-hmm. in movies, and just the way that they do it in such a. It is very theatrical. Like I mean, the a courtroom scene already in and of itself is theatrical and has the is performative, but they pair that with with the music and then the tap dancing, like when Diggs comes out and goes, and now a tap dance, I mm-hmm. was like, what? <laughs> and then it literally works itself into the rhythm of the scene when he's questioning yes. Velma with the, with the book. It's just like, Oh my God, this is actually and brilliant.
0: <laughs> yes. It, and it's so brilliant. They added that for the movie. That's not in the, the stage play, the tap
1: dance. Mm-hmm.
0: And I thought that was that was brilliant. Again, playing to the strengths of the the actors they brought in, and and exploring within the style that they've already uh, that is already set. You know, of course, a courtroom is a tap dance. Of course,
1: <laughs> and mm-hmm. again, that this I, the idea in the story that it always seems as though Roxy is just on the brink of falling off off the edge because of the way that fame and news travels in this world. I mean, it's Chicago. It's the Windy City. It's going to, it changes mm-hmm. so quickly. Um, but, th- and then when, you know, Velma is on the stand, you, you think like, oh, this is the end. Like, this is going to mm-hmm. be where everything falls apart because I love that they set that up with earlier in the film. She's like, I write down, if I have a thought, I write it down in my diary and then that yes. comes back later with, as evidence, which is great because it, it sidelined me. I wasn't—I I had completely forgotten about it.
0: Yes, and
1: it actually is used uh, effectively and has a secret to it because we find out that Billy Flynn, like he planted wrote it. that and <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, planted it. He did it for himself again—a yeah. selfish move, but did it to help. It mm-hmm. helped Roxy, regardless. And it was just like, "Oh my god, that's so smart! Like, that's actually like really engaging." And I was not expecting that. And even though she gets off, just right as they th- are throwing the papers saying she's innocent, mm-hmm. another person gets killed right outside the courtroom, and her story yeah. is just lost.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and that's just a huge comment on yeah the the. Obsession with the bad news and the the sensational news, and we don't we don't need the good news. You're a good person. Oh, I don't have time for that. That's not interesting. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: You're all yeah. You're old news now. Um, <laughs> well, it's
1: the you know it is the idea like it, if it bleeds, it leads. And mm-hmm. even though she pretty much got what she wanted, she's out of prison now and can go home to um, John C. Riley. She very like she clearly lost. She didn't get what she wanted and she's auditioning for vaudeville and they don't Mm -hmm. give a shit about her. Mm -hmm. And, and it's so, the ending of this movie is so good because of it's literally, they, this is what it's been building to finally seeing these two powerhouse players on stage, uh, dancing and singing, um, the final song with just expert choreography, um, What's the song they say? Uh, I Move On. That's... Or um Nowadays. Um, nowadays. That's
0: nowadays, right.
1: yeah. It's such... And again, that's the success. They got what they wanted.
0: Mm-hmm. And it,
1: it's so satisfying. And they ended up being able to do it together. And how they actually needed each other and not... um, Not worked in opposition of each other.
0: Yeah. It's... It's kind of... Unexpected yet not that the the reversal is not going back to Amos or ever apologizing or, you know, or reflecting (laughs) on wrongdoing. That's not the reversal. The reversal is, is yet another power move, but admitting, you know, the, the dependence they have on one another. Um, But yeah, I can't help but to think how long, how long does that success last? I guess that the suggestion is that 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 they've triumphed, but as we've learned in the story thus far, like everything, every power move, you know, it can it, There's going to be somebody one-upping it the next day. So they they have this yes, m- abs- moment in the sun together, which is so satisfying. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't really know where I'm going. And with that, that isn't an, <laughs> that is an
1: interesting idea. And the the story itself does seem very musical theater the way it plays out, in like. Oh, we do actually need each other, and then they get the one final big number, and everything seems happy, and uh, and then it ends. Uh, that in and of itself, like that structure, the way that that part of the story is told, is such a musical theater ending mm-hmm. in, in a good way. It's not as if it's um, it's not schmaltzy and it's not easy. It does yeah. fit with the story because of um, because of the tone that was set throughout the the rest of the movie. Because mm-hmm. the tone of the movie realistically isn't all that serious. Um, it, it's obviously more so like a like a, it's like a black comedy because it has the moments of drama. But like the the highest moment of drama, basically in the in the movie, is when um, the what's her name Catalina I think uh, is hanged, oh, which Hayek, is yeah. paralleled with her with yeah with her um, high diving act. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of when the seriousness like oh this could actually be because they say you know you won't get you won't get hanged but you might just like stay in jail for you know, mm-hmm. for the rest of your life and that's when oh she realizes oh shit this could actually be the end for me and you feel for her even more so that's kind of where the drama turns a little bit
0: yeah i think that the character of hunyak is one one of the examples of of political commentary as well in this piece it's done in in like a dark light a a dark comedy kind of way, like you said, with the, what she jump, the disappearing act. Ooh, it's so chilling to think of it that way. And and paired with a hanging, oh my God. Um, But it's very significant that the one non-English speaking character whose, whose defense is most simple, not guilty, is the one that is unable to be acquitted. And, Mm -hmm. um, even her lawyer says, I wrote this one down. Yeah. He he says things like, what does innocence have to do with it? This is a court appointed thing. I don't get anything from this. Like meaning he, he doesn't, you know, if there's no incentive to, to make money, then this, you know, defending this life is less valuable to me than defending other lives. I don't care what the, the defense is. It's a, I care what the money is. And, and that's just, Chilling when you take a moment to to see that. Um yeah, the character of Hunyak, I think is is crucial to the message,
1: <laughs> that mm-hmm. parallel,
0: just to, to, to show the dark side of, of all of that, and then and then thrusting us back into the 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 pursuit of fame. You're like, whoa, what just happened? Oh, wait, no, Roxy has to be famous. <laughs> like, whoa, <laughs> it plays with you in that way. Yeah,
1: and we should just probably get into analysis now. Sure. It's a great jumping off point. So let's go to Analyze This. Yeah, that is, that is a very good point because uh, uh, about Hunyak, because what's cool is that you also can... Instantly feel for her because you understand her plea. At least you, you feel the honesty in it. You, mm-hmm. when she says, "I'm like not guilty," she has this look of just like despair on her face. You're like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, "I, I, believe you." And just the fact that literally she only says two words in English, and her whole entire section of her of *Se Tango*
0: mm-hmm. is
1: um in is not in English, but you still can connect with her, and that makes her death so much more. Um, yeah, heavy, and and we've talked about how the you know the way the film ends. What's what's interesting about certain um, musical the, um, movie musicals is some shows like will take the take the leap and end on a on a more somber note. Like we talked about, like like Fiddler on the Roof and West Side Story both kind of do that. They end on mm-hmm. a uh, a more unexpected, darker turn to get their message across more. Um, What's what's interesting about Chicago is it kind of does it in the opposite way. Mm-hmm. Is there's very clearly the message about how you know how we glamorize criminals and become attached to them in some way because of the press surrounding them, and they become characters like there are dolls made of Roxy,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: like that's insane to think about. Um, and but it, it wraps the message up in this more entertaining way that it, and the message doesn't get lost. It, it makes it more digestible in a way Mm -hmm. and not that that's a demerit, but it's just a different way to go about it.
0: I wonder if they had ever considered ending it on a low note. (laughs) Yeah. what would have happened if, if it had ended differently and, and more like holding up the mirror kind of way, as opposed to continuing to razzle Dazzle us as an audience.
1: No, I, I don't know if it would, it would have worked. Honestly, yeah. like what 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 makes it work in uh in something like in something like Fiddler is it feels very real, mm-hmm. and the seeing the family just walk away from Anatevka with no idea of where their future is going is important for that message because of how a legitimate kick in the stomach it is. Mm-hmm. And you have to think about this is something that happens, whereas this feels a little different. It We want it to end happy for both of them. I think we're kind of rooting for that to mm-hmm. get the success because at the root of, like I said, at the root of the story, it is a um, a drive for success.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And by ending it on a flashy note, I don't think it muffles the message Um, Yeah, yeah. It delivers it differently, but it doesn't. I think it's still there, and that kind of is a strength of the movie is that you can go back and realize, oh, this is this is actually what's being said. Mm Because you go back and you're like, that was really fun, like that was extremely engaging in the way that the the songs was great, and then you go back again, and you're like, oh wait, there's actually something much deeper going on here that I may not have gotten the first time, and I like that.
0: I do too, because the the general impression we're we're left with is is uplifting. You know that that standard classic musical theater element that that people yearn for when they go to the theater, and then as time goes on, the reflection starts and thinking about <laughs> oh, what the, what was the show actually about? Oh, that happened. Oh, that and it kind of sneaks up.
1: And, and just thinking about it in terms of success in a career, how quickly your image and status can change mm-hmm. instantaneously mm-hmm. The fact that they work so hard on crafting this image of Roxy with her the way that her hair is done, the way that she speaks. but then it all goes away very like Billy Flynn has such a great quote towards the end when he leaves and he's like, you're flashing a pan like that's great. like that is actually like mm-hmm. a perfect encapsulation of what uh what the what the success and image that you have is like just flash in a pan like immediately gone you're like mm-hmm. light for such a brief period of time and then uh just evaporated and pushed to the wind
0: mhm perception is everything and the narrative you're telling is everything and and it's a com- it's a competition for yeah, for who who's got the well, my my brain's got starting to get all scrambled. <laughs> um, I would just agree with that. That's a great quote, flash a pen.
1: Perception, perception is everything, mm-hmm. for sure in this movie, and the, and it does reflect on us as a society. Is like we, sure we understand what these characters are doing and are on their on their side, but and when you get to the the bottom of it like as as a fact like what they're doing or what they did is wrong but you still want them to succeed and want them to get that to get that goal and because their drive and their desperation is what pushes them forward because really that that's all that velma in particular has she has nothing else besides the, who she is as an as a performer and you want her to get that back
0: and these aren't like wealthy people as well I think that's something else that the the contrast of of the world's highlights especially in like the mama Morton scene like the the wealth and flashy culture of the roaring 20s didn't apply to all people clearly and and these women, who have committed the crimes are 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 seeking to better better their lives and to be famous, to be vaudeville stars to 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 attain that that affluence and and recognition. Yeah, so I think that's another part of it that we're we're rooting for for Roxy and Velma.
1: We mentioned earlier how fast the perception and uh, the the crave or craze of a um of a character just goes away instantly is kind of representative in our society of um, important issues like uh, will become like a big part of the mainstream culture and in mm-hmm. the zeitgeist, but then will eventually fizzle out and then we'll move on to something else. And I feel that that is one thing that's incredibly resonant now and something that we are trying to be more c- cognizant of with the, um, at the time of filming this with the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. the the idea that we have we have put some attention towards that cause, but then eventually it just ends up fizzling out until something else happens and then it resurfaces and that could be said with a lot of you know social political issues, but mm-hmm. that is one thing that I feel is extremely relevant now is that it, it sure we're giving attention to uh various, like in the movie, various cases and instances. But those other stories, like Velma's and Roxy's, they get pushed to the side and completely forgotten about while those stories are still uh, important. Unfolding. and Yeah, uh, yeah, and unfolding. And they have consequences after the fact that no one else besides the audience really understands and really sees. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's... (laughs) <laughs> that part of it is depressing in a way because it feels so real, but that's where I feel the movie resonates.
0: yeah. It, it time and time again we see in in the story that those who have money are rewarded, those who have who who start the most fires are rewarded. I'm sorry, that's so it's so interesting. We, there's protests that happen every week here. can you hear that on my audio? <laughs> Uh, I yeah to we can hear that
1: window.
0: yeah oh, yeah to, to to not yeah don't believe everything you hear <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. i, I to, no i totally agree that the and we see that obviously play out the you know what the media perpetuates and um the stories that were told and we may not get the full the full effect or the full like all the information needed um to move to move forward we see that time and time again. And it's interesting how many, like how much social political commentary you can find in musicals that are mm-hmm. embedded in other, other stories. I feel like we've talked about that pretty much on like almost every episode of this, yeah. of this series. And this one just, uh, as a, as another shining example. So to round this out, uh, let's talk about, we got to answer the big question, how, Does Chicago add to your love of movies or theater? Basically, how is this an example of what you want to get out of certain works of either theater or movies?
0: I love that there are strong female lead characters in the story. We can always do with more of that. I love the adaptation of this film because I'm, like I said in the beginning, I'm very proud to say that this is a representation of my loved art form. And I think it's a wonderful gateway for people who might not understand or enjoy musical theater to, to get a glimpse of, of how, how beautiful it can be because of the attention to detail, the the reverence it has for its original art form in the film. Um, And I wish that more movie musicals were as thorough as this one in creating its own stamp in and, but also holding up and and expounding, expanding upon the art form of musical theater. and I think the casting was wonderful as well. I think that the material suited the people they cast and vice versa and the way they shot and choreographed and edited the movie, highlighted them and they passed, you know, it, it's so hard to get stars that are, are like film famous that can also um, do justice to the musical theater performance style to dance, um, to singing, and I, I think they really nailed it there. And I love it more after giving it another watch. I think everybody should. The messages are strong and impactful and relevant the, I, I'm still humming the songs in my head, you know, having that 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 mm-hmm. typical effect of walking away from the theater, humming the songs. Like everyone loves that.
1: Yeah, I agree with all of that. I love, um, you know, we talked about the parallelism to death. I think it's just a really brilliant way to make musical theater engaging and to show so many different emotions and um, different aspects of the story through song and 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 film. Like it's it's a perfect conjunction of the two. Uh, I, I obviously, I love the strong female characters and I love the, this movie is a great representation of the time period that it came out in terms of the movies and, and the filmmaking techniques displayed at the time, the early 2000s. Like this is just a, a movie of, even though it obviously has something to say and is bringing the movie musical back to life at its core, it is just a movie of stars being stars Mm-hmm. And Catherine Zeta Jones and Renee Zellweger and Richard Gere and John C. Riley, they're it's just so great to see them and they are just very clearly playing characters and just living in their stardom and just being like, This is I am at a high of success right now and I am going to live every moment of it. And mm-hmm. you and you can feel that throughout each scene. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes it so much more exciting. And also, again, it feels like it does feel like the early two thousands, but in in a good way. Like there were so many movies like that that felt like, let's just put stars on screen in any way with whatever story, and let's make sure that they just completely relish in it. And it succeeds here on top of the clear um, social political um, comments that are being made. Uh, and also, uh, just another great thing about yes. Yeah, theater when you discover a new show because like I said this was my first real exposure to it and you kind of think about all the songs and they get stuck in your head or they're like oh I hadn't really thought about musical theater um or this type of music being used in a show cuz it's vaudeville it's a little bit of a mixture of like Cole Porter um and uh I mean obviously the great shows of uh, Bob Fosse but it it just feels it's just so great to, uh, to discover that new that a new sensation like that, and mm-hmm. I, I love any time that that happens.
0: hmm Yeah. It's not a, a style of music that I would necessarily opt to put on my Spotify, but yeah, the, using that um, the sounds of that time period, the style of the of the twenties, Tin Pan Alley. Oh yeah, all those instruments that we don't hear in our pop music; it, those mm-hmm. <laughs> th- those elements kind of transport us to to a different time. That that escapism that you were speaking about earlier—that this movie and the show creates such a world that is that that b- invites you in. You know, breaking the fourth wall just invites the audience in to to engage and feel like oh, like. I know I'm not being watched. I'm watching this through a screen, but you you almost feel as though you're in an audience. You know, you're in you're having that theatrical experience at home. So I really enjoy that about this film.
1: I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Megan, for coming on the show.
0: Thank you for having me. This was so fun. I love talking about musical theater. <laughs>
1: That does it for this episode of Frankly I Love Movies. Huge thank you to our special guest Megan Orr for coming on the show and chatting with us. She just finished performing in the South Korean touring production of Phantom of the Opera, so congratulations to her and the entire cast. Frankly I Love Movies is also a part of the Orion Valley Productions podcast network where you can listen to Ravnica Avengers, our very own RealPlay D&D podcast. New episode comes out next Thursday, September 17th, available wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can check us out on Facebook at Frankly I Love Movies, on Twitter at Frankly Podcast, and you can follow me on Instagram at JoshVellJosh21 for more exciting updates on what's going on in my life. And finally, in two weeks, we conclude our series from stage to screen with all shook up original cast member Mark Price to break the rules a little bit and delve deep into the mind of Bob Fosse once more with all that jazz. And until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly... I love movies.